Uh, I don't know if when you were a kid or even as an adult, you enjoyed reading Charlie Brown, uh, Charles Schultz's column. I love cartoons. I love comedy. I love things that just have a little bit of levity to them. But I always liked Linus in Charlie Brown because he always seemed to get the short end of the stick. And I don't know if you ever saw the cartoon where Linus is building this beautiful sand castle. He works on it for hours all the time, starts with nothing, finally develops it into a subdivision of his fiefdom. You know, he has this great uh, castle that's built there. He stands back, he looks at it, it's wonderful. And then all of a sudden it begins to sprinkle and then it begins to rain. And then a storm came up, and everything was washed away. And Linus looks back with the same kind of look that you and I would have after we spend our lives building something, and it goes away. And Linus says these words, almost worth quoting. He said, I know there's a lesson in this, but I'm not sure what it is. Do you ever feel that way? You just go through something and say, God, I'm sure there's a lesson in this, but I'm just not sure what it is today. The truth of the matter is, every one of us have had our sandcastles blown away in some degree, in some form. Every once in a while, we back up and say, Lord, why am I being hit with this storm of life right now? And at some point, we may say, Lord, don't you care? We're in a series that I've started just a few weeks ago of questions that people ask the Lord. And one of those questions was, Lord, don't you care? Last week we talked about the question, Lord, will only a few be saved? And and today we ask, Lord, how much do you care for what we're going through? And today we're going to look at similar but not the same boat stories. One is in Matthew's gospel. One is in Mark's gospel. Start in Matthew 14 with me, if you would, this morning as we look about the storms of life. In Matthew 14, it's the story of the disciples being out on the water and Jesus, not with them, but coming to them in the midst of the storm. It's been a really busy day for Jesus by way of context. It was this day that he fed the 5,000, quite a task, I would think. And as it came evening time for everyone to rest or go back home, Jesus sent his disciples on in the boat and did what he customarily did. He went up in the mountaintop to pray. And so in Matthew chapter 14, if you're there in your Bible, say amen. Beginning at verse 22, it says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Oh, you of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Today, I want to talk to you about storms and miracles. Undoubtedly, every person, adult person at least in this room that I'm talking to, has experienced storms in your life. 
For many of you, in fact, this morning, the clouds have already gathered. And perhaps some of you are in the worst storm of your life. You never thought you would get to this position, to this point, that things could turn this adverse this quickly. But what I want you to realize today is that everyone has storms. I got problems, you got problems, all God's children got problems. Is there an amen in the house? And sometimes those problems can turn in not only to torrential rain, but torrential rain storms. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, notice on the screen with me, the Bible lets us know that everyone gets storms. It says, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So you can see storms and, and problems and difficulties and trials or something that come to all of us. There are no exclusions with this thing. And just because you're a believer, I said just because you're a believer, does not mean that you'll be excluded from the storms of life. Now, now some storms come in our lives, it's our fault. Some storms can come into your life because it's someone else's fault that caused that storm to happen to you. I read in the headlines of West Virginia newspaper this, early this morning in White Sulphur Springs that a man was arrested and he had trouble because he ate his wife's lunch. And, and, and I'm sorry, I got it wrong. She ate his lunch and he smacked her and she called the law. And so she, they both ended up in a storm. Fellas, don't eat your wife's lunch. Eat your own food I, is all I want to tell you. But, but some storms can come because we're out of God's will. An example of that in the Bible, of course, would be Jonah. A few weeks ago, we talked about Jonah, who deliberately disobeyed God's will in the Bible. And God sent a great wind when he was out on the boat. Another example of storms that we can cause ourselves is dealing with communion and taking the Lord's Supper. The Apostle Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when he was talking to the church how they had unworthily come to the communion table and the Lord's Supper. And he said this, For this cause many of you are weak and sick and many of you will sleep. A perfect example of being out of the will of God would be a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, in Acts chapter 5, who deliberately lied to God concerning their giving and they lost their life. Well, perhaps the storm you're experiencing today is a result of that kind of disobedience. But some storms that we're in are because it's God's will for us to go through that storm. Just because you're encountering a storm in life does not mean necessarily that you're out of the will of God. It doesn't mean that you are disobeying God. It just means that it rains on the just and the unjust. In fact, these beautiful examples in the story we're looking at right now, if you'll just notice in verse 22, it says, Right away, Jesus made his disciples to get into a boat and start back across the lake. The New American Standard says that he prevailed upon his disciples to get in the boat. In other words, here these guys are out on a boat in the middle of a terrible storm. They're fishermen, and yet they're still afraid. It must have been one terrific storm. It's very bad. And in the midst of the storm, the interesting thing is that Jesus, who knew the weather forecast in advance, put them in that storm. Jesus sent them in that storm. They're right in the middle of God's will, but they're having the storm of their life. You say, does that happen? Well, Job, I think, in the Old Testament would be a perfect example of that. 
We know that when Satan came to God concerning what was happening on earth, that God challenged him and said, have you considered Job? He's a perfect man. He's a great witness for me. And we know all about the boils that Job had from the top of his head to the bottom of his toes as he sat on the ash heap. Had he sinned? Absolutely not. He was faithful. He was a perfect man, not sinlessly perfect, but living appropriately in God's sight, and yet he went through the storm. I think that Joseph is another example of that. In fact, Job and Joseph are the only two people recorded in the Old Testament as being perfect. And yet we see Joseph, this perfect young man, being sold into slavery by his brothers. He goes into Egypt. He ends up in prison. He is slandered by the wife of Potiphar. Joseph is in a very difficult time of his life, but he's in the center of God's will. I think the Apostle Paul is a perfect example of someone that went through a horrific storm that was still in the center of God's will. We see Paul who'd been shipwrecked. He had been beaten. We see him finally. Historically, we know that he died a martyr's death. But in the midst of all of that, he was God's man. He was one of the most wonderful people in the history of the Christian church. And all this process time, Paul was in the center of God's will. And what I'm saying is that it is possible for you to be in the will of God. It is possible for you to be walking in all the light that God has given you, be right in the center of God's will, and yet at the same time encounter a terrible storm. And you can never look at a person. Please hear what I'm going to say. You can never look at another person and see what they're going through and say that person's going through that storm. They must have done something wrong. There must be unconfessed sin in their life for them to be experiencing that. They're not having the blessing of God, but the curse of God upon them. And that's total nonsense. It's absolutely not true. And I share that with you because I know a lot of wonderful people who really do love God, who really obey him, who go through things that, quite frankly, I don't understand why they have to go through all of them. And yet, because of life's uncertainties, And because of the mark of sin on this earth, and we're all human and frail, life can give us a tough blow. And when we have a difficult time, we have to have our feet on the ground. We have to be able to understand that God is still with us, even though we may not understand the storm that we're going through. And we understand that storms happen to people in the will of God and outside the will of God. As I told you a moment ago, the background for this scripture was that Jesus had had, he was at the apex of his popularity. He had been performing miracles everywhere and crowds were coming all around him. Just think feeding of the 5,000 and historians in the Bible tell us that didn't include the women and the children. So very many more. It's evening and the Lord wants to withdraw. He sends the disciples away and he gets away to pray. That's the setting. And on the back of your bulletin, I want you to see on the outline what Jesus does for us in the storm. There are three things that I think are worth noting. The first thing that Jesus does for us, he prays for us. Now, that's an amazing thing. It's one thing to say the pastor prays for me or my small group leader prays for me. But to think that Jesus Christ prays for me. In verse 22 and 23, we find while the disciples are out on the lake that we find Jesus praying. I want you to notice on the screen one of the most wonderful passages in all of the Bible about Jesus praying for us. It's found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, and verse 14. 
The scripture says we have a great high priest. You ever hear anyone say, coming from a Roman background, I have to go see my priest that I can confess my sin. Guys, I'm glad you don't have to go through Pastor Frank or any priest or anyone on this earth because we have a high priest in the heavenlies. And the writer to Hebrews said, we have a great high priest who has gone into heaven and he is Jesus, the son of God. That is why we must hold on to what we have said about him. Jesus understands every weakness of ours. Did you hear that? Jesus understands every weakness of ours because he was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not sin. So whenever we are in need, we should come bravely before the throne of our merciful God, and there we will be treated with undeserved kindness, and we will find help. Amen. There's a wonderful phrase. Some of you have heard the name John Maxwell. John Maxwell said this, and it's on your outline. I included it so you would have it because you wouldn't have time to write it. Maxwell said, Jesus came to this world to talk to us about God, and he's now in heaven talking to God about us. I like that. He came to this earth to tell us about God, the plan of salvation, and but his work wasn't finished. When he said it is finished, he was talking about the redemptive cost of salvation. But the Bible says that Jesus has been very busy standing on right hand of God the Father making intercession for you and for me. And the Hebrew writer said that Jesus intercedes for us in our time of need. And literally, in the Greek language, that phrase means just in the nick of time. In other words, as we're on this earth encountering the storms in our life, our Lord is at the right hand of God the Father interceding and praying for us, and he comes to minister to us in the very nick of time. Every week you have communication cards in your seat. If you're worshiping with us today for the first time, I hope you'll fill one out and drop it, out in the lo- drop it off in the lovely orange buckets on your way out. But also on those cards, there's a place for prayer requests. And every week on Monday morning when our staff meets, we take every one of those prayer requests. And as a group, I want you to know that your pastors pray for you. Some of you are in small groups and you need to know that your small group prays for you when you're going through very difficult times. Sometimes you have very deep prayer requests. Sometimes it's really serious, more than the dog has a flea. It's things like, I lost my job, I've lost my health, I'm losing my family. And it's wonderful to know that you have a pastoral staff that prays for you and a, and a life group that prays for you and family members that pray for you. It's wonderful to have a church pray for you. But the best news I have for you this morning, Genoa, is that Jesus is praying for you. That Jesus makes that intercession. He's caring for you. And he goes to the Father and he says, hey, Father, these are our children. This is, these are the people that I died for. He prays during the storm. That's the first thing. The second thing that's very clear in this passage that I think we can apply to our lives is that he comes to us. He doesn't just pray at a distance. He's not just this difficult-to-reach Savior, but he comes to us. During the storm of life, he's not an aloof God, but he enters into our storm. Notice in verse 25, it says, A little while before morning, Jesus came, walking on the water toward his disciples. Wouldn't you love to see that? I saw a guy that did it one time, but he knew where the stones were. And, and Jesus didn't have stones. Jesus just put his foot down on top of the water, and he walked toward them. Know no, no, when Jesus comes to us. First of all, if you want to jot this down, when Jesus comes, when we really want him, he comes during our darkest hour. 
I've told you this three times, but it's the only sermon illustration I know. When I first came to Ohio years ago, the first lady I ever had to die, I mean, die with cancer in Martin Memorial Hospital in Mount Vernon, Ohio. And it was my very first official hospital call I had to make in Ohio. And I was young and I was a little scared. And I went to see her after visiting hours and the lights were off and the thing looked more like an asylum than a hospital. And I walked down the long hall with the big bulb hanging down the hallway and I got to her door and I thought, Lord, what will I say? And I opened it and there was no light on really. But as I opened the door, I heard these words. As she sang, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. And I went in that room, and I have to tell you, it was a great success. She ministered to me just the way I needed it. (laughs) And then she went home to see Jesus shortly after that. To be able to have that hope that in our darkest hour, the time when you're the most needy, that's when he comes out to your boat. Do you notice they've been in the storm for quite a while? Was Jesus apathetic? Don't you care, Lord? Are you that apathetic? Was he ignorant? Absolutely not. He's omnipotent. He sees everything. He knows everything. He knew where they were. He knew what their fears were. He saw them. He heard their cries. But he didn't come until the hour was darkest. And that's the second thing that I want you to see. He comes to us victorious over our greatest fears. Your greatest fears, that's the time the Lord wants to show up. The Bible says Jesus came walking on the water. In other words, he was stepping on the thing that they were feared of most. They were afraid of most. What are they worried about? They're worried about the waves. They're worried about the boat being tossed to and fro and the water getting in it. They're worried certainly that they're going to drown. They're afraid it's going to capsize. They look at those high waves that are coming in over the boat. And these are fishermen. They're bailing water as fast as they can. They've been on the water all their life. And to use a biblical word, they were scared spitless. They didn't know what to do. They couldn't even muster moisture. And and all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking in on the water. And his quiet, just picture it. How do you think Jesus came? You think he was jogging toward them? Do you think he was just gently walking to them? I'll be there. I'll be, I'm coming. I'll be there. Or, or do you think it was with embraced arms? Guys, I, I'm your SOS. I, I'm here to rescue you. But he comes and he says, guys, this thing that's the greatest storm in your life, I keep it under my feet. This storm is nothing to me. And in a moment, we spoke the world into existence. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, when God allows us to be put into the furnace, he just goes with us. When God allows his children to go into the furnace, he goes with us. There's a great passage of scripture. You won't have time to turn there. Notice it on the screen. Maybe jot the reference down. Isaiah chapter 43. It could become your new favorite scripture. It says, beginning in verse 1, But now the Lord who created you, O Israel, says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through the deep waters and the great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. And the flames will not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord, your God. And not only does he pray for us, and not only does he come to us, but when he comes, he ministers to us is the third thing that I want you to see. In verses 26 and 27, look what happens. It says, when they saw him, they thought he was a ghost. I bet they did. 
They were terrified, terrified and started screaming. Now, I want you to notice this. When we look at Mark's gospel in just a moment, they're screaming again. A lot of screaming happened in the Bible. I can't even get an amen out of you guys. It says, and by the way, I know how to make you scream. If Jesus will come walking here today and walk into your life and into your problem, thing that you think is impossible, you'd scream for joy. Amen? It says that once Jesus said to them, I am Jesus, don't be afraid. I kind of like that. Over and over, the angels, there's several times in the Bible, angels say, fear not, don't be afraid. But I love this prefix, I am Jesus, don't be afraid. I'm the one that's in control. And he ministers to us in spite of our misunderstandings. They didn't know what was happening. The Bible says they, they thought he was a ghost. They were scared to death. And now they're even more scared. They don't even have a grasp of their situation. And Jesus walks up and says, guys, don't worry. You know, every once in a while, you can run into Christians that think you ought to be able to understand everything. I don't mean any disregard to an individual that would do this, but I don't have much appetite for people that have a Bible verse or a quotation for every situation in life. There are things I don't understand. There are times I just have to wait on the Lord. There are times I just have to say, God, what are you doing in this situation with people? Guys, can I tell you this? There are some things that are going to happen in this life that you and I are never going to grasp this side of eternity. It won't be until we get to the other side that we can do it. Why is that? The Apostle Paul understood it. He said, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. We'll be able to understand those things. And, and so be very careful how you pontificate someone else's situation. Our security is not in knowing how to handle the storm. Our security is in knowing who is in the storm with us, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can be just like Job. Job wasn't a prosperity preacher claiming health, wealth, and prosperity in every situation. He had a more balanced approach when he said, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord will always get glory. Job, do you like the ash heap? Absolutely not. Job, do you like the boils all over your body? No, thank you. Do you like your wife coming out and saying, curse God and die? Certainly I didn't appreciate that at all. It doesn't thrill me, but the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And all Job was saying in chapter 2 there in that scripture is that, Lord, I don't understand it. I probably don't think it's right. I certainly don't like it, but I know who's in control. And at the bottom of your outline, you'll notice very quickly two things. And it's simply this. He ministers to us in spite of our misunderstandings. You don't have to understand it all. The Lord will come to you. The Lord will minister to you because you are his child. And number two, he ministers to us in spite of our fears. Didn't Paul say in Romans chapter 8, if God be for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, don't you think that you can trust him? And I know there will be times that you'll feel overwhelmed. You'll ask the questions. And, and did you know that storms can repeat themselves? You'll feel like you're in a California weather pattern. They come over and quicker than you ever thought they possibly could. A great example of that, if you'll just turn with me now quickly to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. These are not parallel stories, but they are synonymous they both have to do with being overwhelmed and overcome by the storms of life. And you'll ask, can the storms repeat themselves? And the truth is, how many of you have gone through a storm? You say, wait, Lord, didn't we do that a few years ago? Just raise your hand. And over and over, the storms can come to you. 
In Mark's gospel, another storm on another boat with the very same disciples tells me that we may have to go through more than one storm in our life. There's no preset number of storms that you'll go through. There's no determined frequency from which they will, by which they will come. But notice in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35, if you would, the similar sounding background of these two boat stories. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern of the boat sleeping on a cushion. I'm glad to know they had cushions in those days. The disciples woke him and said to him, now watch this. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care, Jesus, that, that, that we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, said to the waves, said to the problem, quiet, be still. And immediately, that is exactly what happened. It was completely calm. One time, William Barclay who was a great theologian and wrote a set of commentaries that every real Bible student of background wants to read. But he is not a biblical literist, a literalist. And one time someone asked Mr. Barclay if he believed in the miracles of the Bible where Jesus calmed the storm. And he said, I don't know if Jesus really calmed that storm or not, but when my daughter drowned at the age of 17, I can promise you that he calmed the storm in my life. And I like that quote, even though he's wrong on the other. He says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Nothing more could be more terrifying than a boat ready to capsize on a black ocean, a black sea of Galilee where no one could see them and them to cry out, Lord, don't you care? That's the same thing we heard about Jonah in the Old Testament, who's a parallel of Jesus in the New Testament when they came to him under the boat. Don't you care, the shipmate said, that we're perishing? Lord, don't you care? Lord Jesus, don't you care today that my child is sick? Lord, don't you care that my marriage is on the precipice of ending? Lord, don't you care that my friends have all deserted me? Lord, don't you care I don't have enough money to get through the end of the month? Lord Jesus, do you care that I feel so alone? Lord Jesus, don't you care that I'm ready to give up? Lord Jesus, don't you care that my husband died, that my wife died? Dear Lord, don't you care that I, I just lost my job? We've all asked those questions in a million different ways and scenarios. We never question the Lord's compassion, though, when things are going well when it's always sunshine and flowers blooming. But you need to know that the Lord cares as much about you when the storm is squalling as he does when the sun is shining. He is the same always. His mercy is not limited to the sunlight or his mercy to the stillness of the waves. And when he awoke, Jesus spoke these words. Jesus spoke them, peace, be still. You see, discouragement in our lives can come from one of two things. Number one, forgetting the power that Jesus has over the storm. Or number two, doubting his commitment to us during that storm. 
You, you can sometimes forget, Lord, don't you have the power to overcome this? Or, Lord, you took care of the Smith family. Why won't you take care of the Jones family? Why are you not being faithful to me like you were to another family? And you may ask, if Jesus loves us, why didn't he keep us from the storm to begin with? Have you ever thought of that? Lord Jesus, if you love us, why not a detour around this storm? In verse 35 of Mark chapter 4, it was Christ I did across the sea, just like it was Christ I did to put the disciples in the boat in Matthew's gospel. This wasn't because of a bad situation that they had gotten into that he was trying to fix. He's knowingly putting them in a storm in that situation. Why would he do that? Why does the Lord knowingly put you in a storm? Why does he know in advance how much stress that will bring you? And why is he going to allow you to be in a place where things seemingly fall apart? Here's why. There's something more important than God keeping you from the storms. And it is this. It is God demonstrating his faithfulness to you in the midst of the storm. That's when you will flex and that is when you will grow and that's when you will know. You see, here's something that may be hard for you, but you ought to write it down somewhere. There are only certain things you can know about God by going through a storm. You'll never learn them in Sunday morning taking notes in church. It is the crucible of life. It is experiencing that that very desperate situation. There are some things that you can only learn about God in a storm. And storms are God's laboratory. It's a place he allows us to be. It's where he teaches you about himself. Every pastor in America will tell you that the people in my church want a miracle. Everyone wants a miracle. You've never seen a Christian who doesn't want to see a miracle. But there's another side to that. No one wants to be in a position that you need a miracle. We want to see a miracle, but I don't want to be blind or halt or deaf or dumb. I don't want to be broke. I don't want to be divorced. I don't want to go through all the problems. But here's the bottom line. Every miracle you read about in the four Gospels of Jesus Christ always began with a problem. It takes a problem to get a miracle. No problem, no miracle. That's really good news for us that have problems in life. If you have a problem today, I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, that you're a candidate for a miracle. I should get a TV show. No problems, no miracles. And if you have no problems, maybe you should come forward at the end of the service and I'll have the staff come up and pray over you, lay hands on you that you can get problems so you can have a miracle. And immediately you're saying, I'm good. I'm good. Really, Pastor, let's just let it go. But in a storm, Jesus will always do one of two things. He will show off by delivering you from the power of the storm or he will show off his power by keeping you in the storm. And allowing himself to be faithful to you and you be faithful to him in the midst of the storm. I love what our former Southern Baptist president, J.D. Greer, said regarding this text. He said, sometimes God will look at the storm and say, peace, be still. And sometimes he'll look at you and say, hey, peace, be still. He has the ability to do both and it's totally up to his sovereign will. It's a peace that passes all understanding. It's not always... It's not usually, I believe, even in calming the storm. I don't hear enough testimonies where the money came back, where the health was restored, where the hospitals were empty. But most of the time, I believe the Lord says, peace be still to us to allow us to endure the storm, to go through the storm. Some through the water, some through the fire. But eventually, we all come through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you go through a storm, 
And, 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 you know, in this story, the disciples went back and had to wake Jesus up. He was on a pillow. It was probably that guy that sells them on TV all the time. I can't think of it. What are those pillows called? What is it? My pillow, yes. I tell my wife all the time, leave my pillow alone. You sleep on your pillow. And, and he came up with this great brand, my pillow. Jesus was laying on a my, my pillow pillow. And the word says he was asleep. Jesus can do his work in the sleep. I can't even sleep during my sleep. But Jesus was there, and they came back to wake him up. Hey, have you ever felt like you need to wake Jesus up? Have you ever felt like you just need to rouse him? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Don't you know there's a storm? Leave those Smith families alone. Get over to the Carl household. We need you. We have a desperate situation. And when you go through the storm and you wake him in prayer, rouse him. I believe you ought to cry out to Jesus. Have you ever cried out to Jesus? Petition him in desperate prayer. But when you do, be prepared for either answer he wants to give. I'll calm the storm or I'll calm you. You will make it through this storm. And once again, discouragement in our lives, the storm of fear in our lives, they come from either forgetting the power of Jesus over the storm or doubting his commitment to us in the storm. I want to challenge you today with something that is a takeaway. I deliberately picked the bulletin cover out this week. I rarely have the privilege of doing that. They don't think I'm competent. <laughs> but but, but uh, on the front of this bulletin, I hope you'll take it home and tear it off. It's perfect like for something you could put on your office wall or your refrigerator. And it says, I will praise him in this storm. I want you to underline the word this storm. Why is that important? Because, my friend, this storm is different than the storm. This storm is different than that storm. Everyone has a that storm story. This storm is different than their storm. This storm is different than tomorrow's storm. This storm is what's happening right now, and it may not seem like much to you, but I'm desperate. It's this storm, Lord, that I need your help. It's this storm, Lord, that I need you. Present tense, right now. It's in this storm that five families in this church have said goodbye to a loved one this week. It is in this storm that two or three of our ladies in our church this week will travel to the Cleveland Clinic or to the James and have cancer surgeries. It is in this storm that wonderful couples like John and Dixie will desperately try to care for their grown daughter who suddenly has fallen in a state that will require long-term for years probably care in a very desperate situation. And may I say to you, it is in this storm, whatever your storm is, financial, relational, spiritual, moral, whatever it is, that in the midst of the storm, you can do some very dumb things. Instead of seeking and crying out to God, maybe your financial storm will cause you to do things that you can regret for a long time. You'll go to 1-800-GIVE-ME-MONEY right now. You'll go to a loan shark. You'll, get, you'll try to set your own financial ways in a way that you're not thinking. It's in this storm when the doctors say there's nothing more that can happen that you just run desperately out of desperation to a quack doctor. It is in this storm when you don't know what the future is and you desperately want to know that maybe for the first time you would go see a psychic or a palm reader or read your astrology chart and believe that any of that garbage would have bearing in the throne room of heaven. It is in this storm where we do things morally that we know better and would never do. All I want to say to you is don't worry about that storm, tomorrow's storm, or their storm, but be very careful in this storm. This is the storm. 
that we have to deal with. And today I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged if you're a child of God and knowing this. Jesus has united himself with you on your boat. You have a passenger on the vessel. Jesus is with you. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Even if we deny him, he would not deny us because he always remains faithful to himself. If you recall when Jesus went to the cross, that was the real sea of God's wrath. Where he took all of that upon himself. It wasn't Jesus that was asleep. We were the ones sleeping on him. Peter, James, and John represented us. Not realizing what was paid. He has always been, always is, and always will be wide awake to help us in our storms and in our sufferings. Always in perfect control. And, and here's the question. Who got woken up in this story? Why didn't Jesus? Don't think that. He knew what was going to happen from the very beginning. The disciples are the ones that got woken up to his power and to his love. And that's what the storm is in your life. That storm is there to wake you up to his power. You struggle with sin in your life. And, and, and that struggle with sin is to wake you up. You're not happy in that sin anymore. God doesn't want you to be content in living a life away from him. If you've not trusted him and you come here week after week after week, I hope every church does this. But if you do not know Jesus, every week we want you to know that there's someone that loves you enough that really did die for you. That took all of your sins and all of your shortcomings upon himself. You struggle with provision. You struggle in relationships. You struggle until this time. Ready? Until you finally admit your weakness so you can be strong in him. When you can just go to him and trust him totally. Maybe that's why the storm is in your life. So you can say with fear, a godly fear, Lord, I trust you in the storm. I praise you in the storm. Maybe you're like Linus in the Charlie Brown cartoon. A storm comes up and blows over all your sand castle. Maybe you're saying this that Linus said, Lord, I know there's a lesson somewhere in what I'm going through, but I'm not sure what it is. So here's what I want to tell you to do authoritatively that will always work. Are you ready? Praise him in the storm. Just praise him. When everything looks dark, praise his name. When everyone walks out, lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Praise him on the good days and on the bad days and every day in between. Because every one of us have had our sandcastles blown away. And every once in a while, probably every person in this room has asked honestly God this question. Lord, why am I being hit with this storm? This storm. In a moment, I'm going to have you bow your head and pray. And after I pray... You're going to hear a beautiful song called, I Will Praise Him in This Storm. And when we do that, I came through the building and I prayed and I said, Lord, could people today for just a moment not be spectators but seekers? Would you reflect on whatever that storm is and however you want to respond to God, however you want to reach out to God during it is great. But I have to tell you, there's something cathartic about coming forward there's something great about bringing that storm, bringing that problem, bringing that unconfessed sin. And even if it's just for a moment, touching the altar and just saying, God, I'm giving you the storm. I praise you in this storm. Whatever the outcome, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You are a good God. 
You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You're the God that reminds us that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And today, Lord, the one thing I can do for sure, Pastor Frank told me, I can praise you in this storm. 